Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. If you think about how uh, an audience can be engaged by a movie for more than two hours and never actually lose concentration, it's quite something. And the reason why it's happening is because the little story elements can build on each other. Hello, my name's Ian Anderson Gray. And in this episode of the Confident Live Marketing Podcast, I'm joined by my good friend, Pascal Vintoni, talking about how to use filmmaker storytelling techniques to captivate your audience. This is such a fabulous episode. Pascal shares so many amazing things on how you can learn from the filmmaking world, how to tell stories in your live videos. It's a great show. But first... Looks like it's time for something completely nutty. Hey, Albert lover, should we see what's on the TV tonight? Oh, yes, I'd love to watch a movie. Should we look at the Radio Times? Oh, look, there's a great movie on tonight. It's an action movie with that, Pascal Vintoni. Oh, Pascal Vintoni is such a handsome actor. Let's watch it now. Pascal Vintoni, Pascal Vintoni, Pascal Vintoni, Pascal how to use filmmaker storytelling techniques to captivate your audience. How to use filmmaker storytelling techniques to captivate your audience. This is the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray, helping entrepreneurs level up their impact, authority, and profits through the power of live video. Gain confidence in front of the camera, confidence with technology, and confidence with the content and marketing. Together, we can go live. Hello, this is the Confident Live Marketing Show. This is episode. 82. As always, we're broadcasting to Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Periscope, Twitch, and so much more. And of course, this is a podcast. More information at iag.me forward slash podcast. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Pascal Fintoni. I can't wait for this. This has taken so long for us to actually get together. And in today's show, I'm going to be talking, or Pascal's going to be talking about how to use filmmaker storytelling techniques to captivate your audience. I really can't wait about that. And, and so really, you know, are you worried that your live videos are kind of, well, I hate to say this, boring? Are you concerned that your audience is getting distracted and switching off? What if you could learn from filmmakers and documentary makers and tell stories that will actually captivate your audience? Well, in this episode, I am joined by the fabulously talented guy, Pascal Fintoni. But first, it's important to mention my first sponsor and also to say the show notes for this episode when the podcast is out will be found at iag.me forward slash 82. So today's show is sponsored as ever by my good friends at Content 10X. Do you want to find 
more ways to create more content. You won't after you meet the team at Content 10X. They are awesome. They are a specialist content repurposing agency. They will take one live stream or a blog post or a podcast or a pre-recorded video and explode it into a plethora of new platform specific on brand content. Now, if you don't want to do, if you don't want them to do it for you, then they can teach you how to do it. They, they have a blog, they have a podcast, they have a book, they have a toolkit. Definitely worth checking all of that out. And they've got a new service called LinkedIn 10X. As I said before, Amy was on the show quite a few weeks ago, and she mentioned a lot more about the LinkedIn 10X service. And this is really how you can level things up, create more impact on LinkedIn. All you need to do is create one piece of video content and they will make them into, as Amy says, video babies and lots of other things on LinkedIn to really level things up there. So definitely check them out. They're really smart, responsive, creative, and effective. All you need to do is go to content10x.com for more information. Okay, it's time to bring in my guest today, my very special guest, who is none other than Pascal Fintoni who is a professional trainer and speaker with over 25 years practical experience in digital marketing. Pascal has worked across diverse industry sectors developing and implementing audience engagement campaigns. He's also a video producer and he has introduced many of the storytelling techniques used by filmmakers into his coaching to help his clients create great online reputations. Pascal, welcome to the show! Well, what an introduction. Thank you so much, Ian, and, and thank you to our viewers live and on replay. As ever, your support is really appreciated. Well, definitely appreciate that. And my, my the live viewers have been very, very patient. So I think it is time to bring some of those in. Uh, we've got, so, so unfortunately, Pascal, you won't be able to see these, but I will read these out. So the thank wonderful you. Bob Gentle is here, who says, OMG, Pascal is my favorite. Awesome. <laughs> Mark Asquith is saying, ah, oh, my two lovelies. Oh, it's very kind of you, Mark. <laughs> and Bob was saying, so we were talking just before uh, we got started about movies and films, and yeah. Pascal is a bit of a film buff, to put it mildly. So Bob says, I watch too many movies. Is there such a thing as too many movies, Pascal? No, it's not possible. It's not possible. So there you go. You're okay. You're okay. Uh, and we've got, I've got a good question uh, from uh, Latasha, which I'll bring in in a minute. So thank you about that. We've got Ben Amos watching from Down Under. What time is it in Australia at the moment? It's probably sometime in the evening anyway. Uh, we've got Sasha uh, Lydiard watching from Oxford in the UK. And Martin is up very early in the morning watching from Toronto. Thank you, Martin, for joining wow. us. Really appreciate it. I hope you're doing really, really well. And there's no pressure from Sasha. Not heard Pascal speak before, but heard good things. So uh, <laughs> thank so you. I uh, hope you're not feeling too nervous, Pascal. But um, so you're 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 dialing in from Durham, and you you were just describing it uh, b before we got started. You know, for podcast listeners, just just look out your uh, just look out your window. Tell us what you see out. Your look window. at my window again. So what do I see? I see um, green hills. <laughs> I see sheep, rivers, and trees, and then of course the roofs of some of the houses and. Um, Clouds approaching as well. The sunlight uh, was it was very short-lived this morning. Oh, well, there we go. So Durham is a very lovely uh, place. It is a, a special place in my heart because it's where I went to university. It's also right, where yeah. I proposed to my wife in Durham. So it's a very picturesque place. Where, where um, about in Durham? Were you, were you near, the, near the cathedral or the castle? Yes, I, it, was, it was a kind of like where probably a lot of proposals have happened. It was on Prebens Bridge, which is the very picturesque bridge. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. I'm, I'm just... 
Needs to be a bit more original, but uh, there we go. It's a very beautiful place. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, do keep the questions. Today, we're going to be talking about storytelling techniques, particularly um, from the word, world of film and documentaries. We met back in, I, I want to say it was 2015. Were you, you, you were at the New Media Europe conference in Manchester, weren't you? I got that right? I was. Yeah. I believe this is where we all met in some, yeah. in some ways. Um, I mean, I actually was there to, with with um, my friend Chris Ducker, who was making a trip from the Philippines just, you know, for, for that event. And we've not seen each other for years. And it was just, you know, a, it's such an event. But I met you, I met um, Mark, I met Richard Tubb, you know, Roger Edwards, uh, Bob was there, if I'm not mistaken. And Amy, I mean, it was just such a wonderful Gathering and and to this day, you know, we must actually thank the organisers because beyond the the event, I think they created a movement around a content marketing done right. They they did, and I, I, Isabella uh, was on the show mm. just it was either last week or the week before. I can't remember exactly. My brain has gone to mush, but um, yeah, we've had Mike Mike and Isabella on the show who uh, who are music radio creative, but they found a new media Europe. I mean, it hasn't unfortunately it hasn't. There were only two conferences, but those two conferences were pivotal in, in bringing so ma- many of us together. Um, and I don't think they kind of even today realize how much they made an impact in this world, bringing, bringing so many of us together. So that, that's awesome. So how did you get into video? And does that kind of relate to your love of film? I mean, you, presumably you've loved film for the majority of your life. Yeah, so, so film for me started as an, as an escape. And, and I think it's important that uh, I tell the story fully because actually it has some some kind of uh, relation to the advice I'm going to give. But um, when I was um, six years old, um, I had cancer and I was in and out of hospital for a year and a half. And at the time, actually, I was already having to isolate for all sorts of reasons. So the only kind of companion I had beyond my parents' visits was this TV in, in my in my room, a hospital room. And the nurses there was very, were very kind. They would allow me to watch uh, all movies all night long. There was just nothing else to do. I had to protect myself from essentially um, getting infections and so on. So to be honest with you, I think the, the trigger point was um, spending so much time watching movies uh, very late. So I watched the first Bruce Lee movies then, but also action movies and TV series and so on. And, and and they became kind of my actually my companions for for the day, and then I started to to make up stories. So then I would write stories in my, in my book of those characters I'd seen. So I would invent you know follow up stories and the likes, and then I kind of carried on this passion for stories. And uh, as a teenager, I would go to the cinema. I would. Um, kind of uh, buy magazines and so on and so forth. But it really didn't become something that I considered to be part of my professional toolkit and skill set until as a marketing officer, I was given the job to uh, make um, marketing videos. Now, back then, it was uh, VHS cassettes. So if you can imagine, you know, here I was a very young marketing officer. There was a video production team. My job actually was working at the time in the travel industry. So we went overseas to film different resources and to film different kind of uh, amenities to make a, um, a marketing video. And by the second day, I just felt that what was being recorded and what was being essentially pulled together was just very boring because it was just factual. There was no thread, there was no stories, there was no kind of uh, main characters to lead you into it. And I kind of rang my boss, you know, from where we were, and I said, you know, listen, we are two days into a five-day shoot, but I don't think it's going well. 
but I just felt I was too young and too junior to have the audacity to tell others what to do. And he said, well, what do you mean? I just explained what I thought was missing in terms of making it truly engaging. And he said, fine, I agree with you. Now you go and tell them. <laughs> you can imagine here I was, you know, I think I was barely 22, 23. And I was telling people twice my age, I think you're doing this wrong. <laughs> and, and kind of carried on with the project. Now, credit to them, they took some of the um, the notes, as we say in the industry, uh, rather well and created, I think, a documentary as opposed to a promo video, and that worked very well. Uh, the error, however, uh, I got to be carried away, so then I was given the project to run. And I remember to this day, Ian, when I was asked, you know, how many copies of the VHS cassettes because yes, it was that long ago. So some of our younger audience will not know what VHS cassettes are. But so when I was asking how many copies, we didn't know. So we looked at our database of customers and ordered a copy for each of those customers, which I think was in the thousands. Now I don't know if you can imagine how much space you would need to store thousands of VHS cassettes. So I was the most hated marketing officer in the <laughs> office because there was just boxes everywhere. There were boxes in the corridors, there was boxes under the desk, there was boxes in the loo, in the, in the canteen and so on. And it took us forever to, to dispatch them. And I learned a very important lesson then, which is actually when it comes to video content, the creation bit is going to be all right. You're going to work your, your way around it. Distribution is far more important, which is actually uh, as a result of which I've become quite a fan and, and a keen observer of live streaming as you're doing. Uh, I'm about to embark in my own kind of journey of discovery. But I think what I love about live video is that distribution to a point is taken care of. Of course, you can do uh, more things about it. And then I worked my way through essentially the different formats from, from VHS cassette to uh, CD-ROMs, I think they were, then DVDs, then online, but always bringing this idea of, you know, how do we make this interesting? And what is the story? What is the hook? Who are the characters that are going to guide us through, you know, the, the, the narrative? And then it was 2005, I'm going to say, Ian, where I got a letter from the tax man. And I thought to myself, oh, that can't be good. And actually, it was very good. Surprisingly, I had been paying too much tax. Um, and they sent me a check <laughs> to pay me some of that tax, wow. uh, Ian, which was quite uh, unusual. So here I was with a check. It was a quite a sizable amount. I think it was some mistakes because of my nationality and, and the way in which I've been paying and the NI number. And I remember looking at the check thinking, well, I've got two options. I can spend the money to build the extension to the house, as my wife had been requesting for some time, or I can go ahead and buy filmmaking kits. <laughs> <laughs> so to this day, my wife is still waiting for the extension to the house. And then I rang some friends that I knew, and I said, I've got this crazy idea. I want to know what it takes to make a feature film. And I want to go to Los Angeles and I want to pitch the film. I want to do the full from script to screen journey as my schooling because I have this itch essentially, Ian, after consuming, oh goodness, you know, uh, years and years and years of film and TV series and documentaries. I wanted to know what it felt like to uh, make a feature film. In fact, we made two uh, over periods of years. Um, I had the pleasure, immense privilege of going to Los Angeles, to the American film market. I did the pitching, the selling, and so on and so forth. Came back with uh, more information and knowledge about what it takes to be a good storyteller. And then within a year, I did this presentation called um, Video Killed the Social Media Star. Because by then, we knew about the algorithm 
and we knew about live coming on, on board. And I found that the risk was for my customer who had worked so hard to build a following on social media, they were about to lose out because big video was becoming the, the premium form of, of content. And it, it grew from there. But again, as I mentioned to you during our many conversation before today, I was never comfortable with this idea of bringing filmmaking and marketing or filmmaking and business development. I just didn't think it was plausible. But with encouragement from you and, and Bob and Mark and many others out there, I kind of gave it a go. And it, the reception has been so great that um, I'm, I'm now a lot more comfortable, although I still have small trepidations every so often, uh, to, to share what I think we understand about how to engage an audience and how to discover actually your voice as a storyteller. Mm. Well, thank, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your honesty, because I think often it seems almost like everyone else can, can know what we should be doing and what our expertise is. And we're some, sometimes the, the last person to actually just get on and do it because we're just, sometimes we can be scared and with, we're worried about how this is going to go down. But I'm so glad mm. that you took that encouragement and you went with this. And it's also magical to know that, you know, your love of film and filmmaking is, is, is merging together with this and you're doing something that you absolutely love doing, which, I mean, yeah. let's face it, I mean, you can't have a better job than that. Um, so, so, so there we go. That's awesome. I can see. So Ben Amos was uh, just saying, cause he's watching from Australia. He was, it was 8.45 oh, right. 8 PM and uh, Royton is watching from Limerick in Ireland. Welcome to the show. Hope you're doing really well. And oh, Tim Sorn is watching from the US up early as usual. Very impressed, Tim. Hope you're doing well. So if you've got any questions for Pascal to do with, anything to do with filmmaking, with how we can learn from that world, and particularly storytelling, this is something that I really want to pick Pascal's brain about. And actually, we've got, we had a question before, so I don't know whether you're still here, Latasha. This is a great question. I wanted to bring in th this a little bit later, so because uh, I wanted to hear about Pascal's story. And this is a great question. You know, how long online, how long should it take, should you take to tell a story? And uh, I think that's a really interesting question because I think particularly... I think it probably will depend on the format, but with live video, sometimes we're, we're worried about the number of people watching us live and all, all that kind of stuff. Should we get obsessed by that? How long should we take to tell a story? Um, well, actually, um, if you think about film, you know, typically they last between 90 minutes to two hours, and some of them are, 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 get a bit longer. But actually, what you should be always ready to do is tell the, short, the story in as short a time as possible because things could get in the way. So when we prepare for film production, we essentially go have plan Bs and Cs and Ds because something could get in the way. The weather could turn on you. Technology could, could work against you and so on. So what you need to be able to do is you have a vision about the story uh, as a, in a full version. But within that, there are many things you can take out just in case you, know, you, you have to. But I would say that a story or even the beginning of a story where you can kind of set the, what we call the setup, where we understand where this is going, should be able to be explained within three minutes. And then after that, you expand upon it. But, um, you know, I mean, if you think about how uh, an audience can be engaged by a movie for more than two hours and never actually lose concentration, it's quite something. And the reason why it's happening is because the little story elements can build on each other. And, and it's almost like an analogy that I use is when, when we were kids and we got caught out because we ate all the chocolate. And then our parents said to us, explain to me why the chocolate tin is empty. And we can come up with the most incredible story that goes on forever. And we use a magic word, and then. 
So and then the the aircraft kind of crash landed in the neighbor's garden, and I got distracted. And then the dog did this, and then and then the tin fell on the floor, and then the dog ate all the chocolate. And then I, and then you kind of carry on to end the story uh, as as long as it takes for you to get out of trouble. And that actually happened, didn't it? All of that. that uh. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so in terms of uh, duration of, of the, the, the live shows, it's more to do about how you've been able to segment it mm. so that you can actually um, make it very elastic depending on what's happening. Because you guys, I mean you, because I'm not the live streamer just yet, you know, you, you, you do the hardest thing, which is that so many things can happen during live. And I can't wait to hear more about it in a moment from you, Ian. But the same can, can be true of uh, the day of shooting. So, you know, normally we, we have our our shooting list and our script and storyboard and so on. But on the day, we must be ready to do less than planned and yet tell, still tell the story. I think that is really good advice. And something that I don't feel I always do a very good job of is, is I think brevity is is really important. Sometimes we can gibber on and on and, and, and particularly with a live show, because mm. we're not editing it, sometimes we can go off on tangents. Sometimes those tangents are great. Sometimes we can waffle on, but having a strict run of show, I think is important and being really to the point, you know, you've got to know why you're doing the show as well and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was a great question. Thank you very much, uh, Latasha. That's, that's, that's a really awesome question. One that I get asked a lot is, is how long should a live show be? But uh, I think specifically when it comes to storytelling, uh, I think that's really interesting. So you, you already kind of said this, that you've not done much in the way of live video before. You know, just tell us your, mm. your views on live video and what you're planning to do, what, what are your thoughts? Well, actually, what was interesting is, so as part of my coaching, I thought live video was almost, you know, your black belt in a kind of visual storytelling. So you had to pay your dues by doing other form of visual storytelling. And live was the kind of graduation moment where you go, well, you're so good at mastering the other forms that you can now do live. But I've gone full circle, Ian, and I now ask people to go live first. And the reason for that is that it takes away so many other kind of considerations, such as the editing, as you mentioned, distribution is taken care of. But also, they end up doing something I call the one-shot wonders or the one kind of uh, recording wonders and not worry so much about it. And, and actually, by becoming a good or competent, confident live streamer, you then can bring that into the other form of video. But for my part, I'm curious about live. I'm generally very curious about live and how we're going to bring filmmaking and documentary making into it. So I'm going to do a non-work-related project, and there isn't for that. And I think it's advice for all of your um, listeners and viewers out there, which is that there will be things that you'll do as part of live, which is uh, in line with building your brand and building your business. But the risk is that it's so narrow or so specific that you're not allowed to explore other ways of telling a story. And as a result of which, you might not um, increase your skill set and understanding. And the reason for that is that imagination is the number one talent that one has to nurture. If you think about the books you've read, if you think about the TV series you've enjoyed, the plays you've watched, the musicals and opera you know that you've been to, the the, the storytellers, those who crafted you know this experience, whether it's visual only or audio as well, they use their imagination to come up with it. You know, from Agatha Christie coming up with the stories for Hercule Poirot, all the way to John Favreau and coming up with the stories for The Mandalorian, they had to use imagination. But the imagination comes from doing things that sometimes there's not a direct link with um, you know who you are and what you want to do, and. Really, your role is to adopt the behavior of an independent filmmaker, 
Why? Because time is always against you. You don't have as much resource as you wish. You don't have the budget you wish. I'm sure, Ian, there's bits of kits you wish you could afford that you can't right now. So as an indie um, live producer, you know, you have to adopt the behavior. And some of that behavior is to experiment and do maybe some short form, a bit of content that can bring it because you really have to expand and extend your talent as much as possible, but create uh, projects and environments that are going to really invite your imagination to be challenged and, and to do something that is sometimes just for the fun of it. If I think about my hero, Steven Spielberg, some of his um, attempt uh, when he was a young man was really for the fun of it to experiment. And without that, I don't think he'll be where he is today. So where I am with live streaming is I'm going to be launching a show called uh, The Films with Friends Experiment. And essentially, it's going to be my dream of hosting a show about films, reviewing films, talking about films from the past, recent release, uh, doing some critique of trailers, talking about books and inviting with some people that are fans, not just filmmakers. But within that, I'm going to really push hardy and the production value and actually talk about experiment with things I want to recommend people try out for themselves as part of visual storytelling, because I'm just curious. And I think that's also one of the qualities of the independent uh, video producer or film producer or live producer. You are curious and you nurture your imagination. Really, really great stuff there. And I, I think having that excitement, that curiousness, the playing around with things, live video is is the place to do it. I mean, things could go wrong, and they do go wrong. <laughs> they still go wrong with me on a frequent basis. But I think it's it's playing around with those things. So let's let's talk about storytelling and what we can, how we can learn from filmmakers. But first, first of all, you know, how can you explain what you mean by storytelling specifically? Oh, I'm when so glad a, you're asking this yeah, question. When, when when you know when you're approaching it from a filmmaker point of view. Yeah, because it's been used a lot uh, for all the right reasons. But actually, when I look, read, and listen to the advice given by others by storytelling, it feels a bit like um, making a statement about, well, if you want to go across there, you have to swim. And then that's the end of it. And it kind of, well, how do I learn to swim and what swimming techniques do I use? So I think storytelling uh, has been used as a term in and around the content marketing, uh, sounds a marketing world, but it's not been explained so well. So yes, I'm going to give you the filmmaker's perspective because I think it's, it's, it's interesting. So what we try and do, we try and essentially be an observer and a narrator of what is happening to others that the audience can relate to. So very often a filmmaker will not typically tell the story about what's happened to them, because actually sometimes we, we can't take the distance to tell the story well and fully. So the idea being that you're in a position to retell what has happened to others. And the number one story that has engaged all of us forever, from the moment we can uh, sing you know, uh, songs to each other and read poems around the, the, the campfire, all the way to you know, the recent efforts on online and on big screen, the one story that we want to try and tell to others is as follows. How are people that I can relate to coping with a sudden change to their world? So it's a big, it's a long kind of uh, statement, but you know, how are people that I can relate to coping with a sudden change to their world? And that sentence should be written on the whiteboard or on the post-it note against your screen. And your job, therefore, is to be the retailer of stories that have happened to others. And others are essentially those that the audience can relate to, which is why it's so hard sometimes as experts to move away from what I call data 
and not give the drama because we will be kind of caught up in this idea of sharing what we know as opposed to what we've seen. And that's kind of uh, the, the difference. And how you explore this question is by using seven story elements. Uh, and that number is actually been tried and tested forever, well before I even understood uh, why I was enjoying watching Bruce Lee on, on the small black and white TV when I was a, uh, a young lad. So the, the, the first kind of question you need to, to ask yourself to tell the story is why is their world changing? And you're going to be using that number one story element of a rider rides into town, a stranger, should I say, a stranger rides into town. And that stranger certainly creates that kind of ripple effect and changes the status quo. So that stranger who's riding into town could be, of course, an individual, could be a group of individuals, could be new technology, could be weather conditions changing, and so on and so forth. And it's just creating enough ripple effect for the others that I can relate to are certainly caught into this change and I'm observing how they feel about the change, how they react to the change, and all the emotion as well as the physical changes that they're going through. Now, that stranger who's riding into town could be actually a good uh, in, you know, influence. So they could be riding into town for good. But uh, the idea being that there was something that the world of the others you can relate to was kind of going, uh, you know, the day-to-day -day was kind of happening. Sometimes there was a situation that was bad for them or good for them. And then suddenly it changes. And when you think about all the stories that you enjoy, all the movies that you're all enjoying, your hero was kind of happy to get on with whatever was happening in their lives. And then a stranger rides into town from you know, Luke Skywalker or the way to you know, the recent book that, that you've read. So that's the number one. You know, you've got to find your stranger you know, that is creating that disrupting the status quo. Then the next question you need to ask yourself is, yeah, actually, so how is my hero or heroes uh, dealing with that change? How are they trying to adapt? And you're going to be using three different story elements. You can use all of them or just do one. So firstly, you're going to be asking yourself, you know, the idea of are they uh, essentially trying to go on a quest and using the quest element, which has been used a lot, are they going to, do they need to go from A to B and in a process learn how to cope with the change? And maybe there'll be obstacles along the way, or sometimes they don't change, but they have to change the environment around them. There's the idea of finding the uh, destination or an object that can help them you know, do better. The quest element is, is very popular. But are you going to be using some maybe the assemble element, something that uh, is very popular? You have to put together a team with different talents, different skill set, but also with the highs and lows and the friction that comes to bring a team of desperate individuals together. And I use the term assemble on purpose, Ian. And then the final element that is um, available to you is probably the one that you use in your line of work, which is metamorphosis. Do they need to change so radically that they'll be transformed by what, what they go through to cope with that change? So a stranger rides into town, disrupts the status quo. Your heroes need to adapt. Are they going to go for a quest? Are they going to go for the assemble? Are they going to go for the metamorphosis? But that's not enough. That's not the story. Because ultimately, what you're going to do is share facts. You need to answer the third and by far the most important question to make this a story. Why is it so difficult? That's the story. Why is it so difficult? And you have three elements that you can use. Is it a race against time? So if you think of one of my all-time favorites, Back to the Future, 
the story of Marty McFly would be very short, actually, and very boring if all he had to do was to just wait and hide in the barn and Doc Brown would eventually come up with a with whatever. But because they had to get the time right with the storm and the flash of light and so on, they had to, to get it right. So that makes the story. You could also use, uh, is it impossible at first value? Is it what we call the David versus Goliath element, where frankly, what your hero is up against seems quite impossible. They're going to have to try maybe more than once and use it on different things. And maybe there's, there's a fear element. The third and final element in terms of what makes it so difficult is probably by, by far my favorite is what we call the two voices story element. That is to say that your hero is torn between two conflicting and two very different bits of advice or different course of action. So you have on one hand the person that knows a version of what needs to be done is usually a bit rushed, a bit dangerous, a bit risky, but you know, kind of uh, is part of what they like. We call that the trickster. And then the other, which is the person who knows what needs to be done, but sometimes their recommendation takes more effort and takes longer, and perhaps you know, more uh, there's more failure uh, allowed to that. We call that the mentor. And if I used the Luke Skywalker example, it's torn between listening, of course, to Han Solo or to Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's going to be the one that he listens to. Who is he going to follow in his journey as, um, you know, essentially a hero? So these, this is how we split the story. And we use post-it notes, Ian. We use whiteboards. We, use, we scribble down. But until such time we've kind of used those seven elements, we don't think we have a story, and therefore we won't be confident to go ahead with actually filming anything whatsoever. Wow. There's so much in that. I mean, we, we could dig really <laughs> deep into all of those different elements. And my mind is already buzzing. I suppose my, my kind of question, my follow-up questions to those things would be, well, number one, should all those elements, that, that storytelling be in all our content? So for example, in, in our podcasts and our live video, what would you say about that? So, so for me, you would use that to give you actually the segments you need. So back to the earlier question about how long should it be, I would use that if you're going to ask someone to give advice to your audience. So if you had a guest, for example, Ian, the way you would formulate the question would be actually informed by those elements, which essentially, well, why you know, is it happening and why are you giving this advice? You know, that would be the stranger riding into town. Um, so what, what's the option here? And they may say, well, actually, what you have to do is pull a team together. Let's assemble. But then you would say to them, but what makes it difficult to pull a team together? Or what makes the project difficult? And they may say, well, actually, it's um, you know, quite a, a task and time is against them. So you would kind of tease out, essentially, mm -hmm. stories um, that people can relate to because the reason why we enjoy watching films, reading books and, and watching plays and listening to the opera is because the people that we're observing are finding it tough. You know, the journey is difficult. If it was easy, um, that wouldn't work. So also what you would do as a host, Ian, is ask your guests not to tell what they would do, you know, they are the Obi-Wan Kenobi, who cares? They need to tell the story from Luke, who's struggling. Um, we need to tell the story from, you know, how the Goonies are struggling, you know, to find, you know, the, the solution to what, what they're up against and so on. Uh, so that's number one. And then number two, it, I would use that as a reminder that when you want to give an example, you have to give a full example. So you have to share drama not just data. So give an example when you say, so I remember of this company and this is what they did and this is what they got. That's another story. Using the elements, you're going to start to flesh it out about, well, this is the options they had and this is how they were torn by the options. 
And they went for that one. And it was hard. And the reason it was hard is because of this and, and so on and so forth. And actually looking back now, they wish they did it differently. That's the story. That's really helpful. I think because that's the kind of question I, I, I hear a lot is, yeah, storytelling is great, but how do I translate the story like of a film uh, into my business? You know, and this is this is something that I think back to my school, my school days, and I loved writing creative stories. Sometimes they were really mm. mad. I didn't, I certainly probably didn't have <laughs> the whole story structure there in place, but I would like there were fantasy or there were sci-fi, all this kind of stuff. I can I feel that I can do that. But when it comes to telling a story within a live video or in a presentation, you know, it's kind of like people say to me, you should tell a story. That's what you should do. And I'm thinking, right. Yeah, it's kind of like jump in the deep end. I think you mentioned that before. Uh, so actually kind of finding ways of being creative and, and having that. I think that structure that you mentioned is so, so important. and. You know the you were talking about the the rider, the, the stranger rides the into stranger, town, yeah. and that could be a situation. It doesn't have to be a person. I think you were saying so. It could Correct. be, for example, at the moment. You hate to mention the the, the lockdown. I try and avoid talking about that and the coronavirus. <laughs> if you're listening in the future, yes, this is 2020, and but maybe that is that is obviously something that's affected most people in the world. And how you know so that could be that could be the stranger. And how do you deal with it? And, and I mean, I, what, what I would love to, to hear from you, have you got any other kind of ways or examples that we could tell stories that might be helpful to my viewers and listeners? Yeah, so, so I think, you know, in a way you could split the word story and then mm. telling. But going back to to story, you know, that, that stranger is so important. And the reason why we call it the stranger rides into town is because actually the, uh, the the heroes and actually you know all the supporting characters around them, they have no preconceived ideas and knowledge of, of what that is, and actually part of what they need to do is understand it more and then choose make the, the right decisions. So in a way, um, if you take for example another one, another classic, you know the uh, if you take Jaws for example, people don't understand to begin with what that is and even when they know that vaguely it's a shot they don't know which one and so on and so forth and that's why it's, um, they make poor decisions well that's why there's tension between you know, rivalry between the, the town leadership and what they need to do if you think about um, Raiders of the Lost Ark you know um, Indy's happy to be a lecturer and they're complete strangers from governments come in and completely disrupt the status quo of him essentially taking time out from expeditions and so on so I think the stranger is, is, is very important but but then when it comes to telling, then this is where really your voice and talent comes in and where your imagination comes in because you have to make decisions now on the visualization. How are you going to translate you know, the story into visual statements? And I'd, I'd love your reaction, Ian, about this idea of typically the way in which you know, a filmmaker or do documentary filmmaker would, would think of it is in, in essentially in shots. So we think um, lead shots. So we think, you know, what would be the, the principal imagery where we're going to follow, obviously, the main characters. But then we have uh, secondary and tertiary shots where we may establish, you know, where we are, what time it is. 
we may establish obviously uh, emotions by doing some close-ups and maybe we'll, we'll pull back and so on. So there's a whole alphabet, there's a whole language around filmmaking where we vary the shots, but minimum, people like to know uh, where we are, what time it is, and what is the, the emotions and the mood. And I wonder whether on occasion for live streaming, when you give an account, when you retell the story, and essentially you, you are a, a storyteller, you're a narrator, can you then cut away from the lead shot, which is you, to an establishing shot or to some kind of very, very gently edited uh, bit of footage where if you make reference to a location, to an emotion, or if you make reference to a solution, whatever, it is essentially represented visually. So in, in your case, you, know, you were saying that the stranger could be a situation or could be uh, something. Can you bring that as a visual by changing the view, which I know you, you, you're doing on your streaming, because that will make you a true visual storyteller when you change the shots. That is fascinating. I hadn't really thought about that. So I... I you know, we, today we could have talked about technology and a lot of people, that's what they want to hear. You know, so if I'd made this like Pascal's 10 top video gear and tools, you know, we'd probably, probably get more people watching because that's what they feel they want. But what I love, what you're talking about here is you're approaching it not from a tech point of view. You're approaching it from a storytelling point of view, from an emotional point of view. And the tech is used to tell that story. And so I, I, my mind is already buzzing with different ideas. I mean, we've, you know, I can change the scenes here. I can, I can go back to you. I can, I can do that. I can do, I can do that. Uh, but one thing that we, we could do is we, we could have like a zooming in shot or like something that where we pan away, I could, we could have different camera angles and depending on the kind of tool that you use, I'm using Ecom live, but you could use OBS mm -hmm. studio. It allows you to do these different things. Uh, to have those different shots, you could have some videos or something, maybe music in the background um, to do that. Now, from a tech point of view, that's a bit more tricky with live video, but it's definitely possible. But yeah, I think I think me and you have to maybe have a, another chat to think about what <laughs> so, ideas so, I mean, we could do. Yeah. That's what I was asking you because uh, I can only you know share with you what we would do yeah. uh, when it's not live. And what, what I would do is two things. I would have obviously uh, a script or script outline I would have minimum bullet point about the different scenes, but where possible, I would storyboard it. So the other thing that I think people need to get into the habit of doing, I know that there's a, there's an immediacy with regard to using laptops, mobile phones, cameras, and so on. But I want you to get into the habit of doodling and sketching. So you know, you do sketch a rectangle and then fill it in with what you would want to see. And if you were to storyboard, and sometimes we use post-its, you know, we buy the, the rectangle, rect rectangular one, Ian, as opposed to a square one, it feels more like a screen. But you could actually storyboard, you know, your live session in advance where you know at what points, for example, you want to talk about the struggle of somebody trying to find the right piece of software, for example. And you could you have a 20-second video clips, maybe some stock footage of somebody literally putting putting their hair out, uh, facing you know, a choice, whatever, to, again, and uh, what those um, cutaways, we call them cut because you would cut to a different scene at the editing stage, they also reset someone's attention. So you have one of your um, one of our live audience asking about duration. The reason why you can afford to be as long as, as you can is because you also allow people to reset set their, their kind of goodwill and attention span to, to the story. 
And I think by taking some time them away from just you, because I think that takes the pressure off by having even a scene. So, you know, a moment ago, you asked me kindly, where am I? What can I see? But of course, the audience was cheated of what I could see with preparation, with storyboarding, with a poster saying, what I'm going to do is actually um, take my, my mobile phone and, and record 10, 20 seconds what I can see and then share that on screen. Or you could do also in a case of a live session, what we call titling sequence, which are used you know, a lot in TV series where literally you have an establishing shot of a city and the word Los Angeles. You know, that kind of thing. So you could also do this type of, uh, I call them titling sequence, where we remind people about where we are or what we are talking about or what time it is if um, you want to be using that. So I think the storyboarding is something that I would be uncomfortable not doing if I was to make any form of visual storytelling. And I do wonder whether it has a role to play to, again, expand your imagination by planning it visually because you have to sketch it first as opposed to launching straight into a, a live session i wonder well yeah definitely definitely important stuff there and approaching it from a storytelling point of view first is the way to go absolutely and we we had uh, i had isabella isabella russell on the show uh, as i said mm. uh, and you know she was talking about audio branding so you know we, we you know, how you can use music and sound effects you know we've, we've already had some sound effects but you could do this you know There was, a, there was a slight delay there, but you know, uh, the, the, you know, you could have sound effects okay, get and, and voice Karloff just coming through there. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, so, what, what you were saying earlier, you know, I think that about we're talking about the the stranger, and I think the two emotions that I think are so important when it comes to, particularly with live video, I feel, but I think with the storytelling, are empathy because your audience, if they're w t watching you telling, if they're listening to you tell the story. You want them to feel empathy. You want them, you, you're trying to provoke empathy. You're trying to kind of talk about a situation that they empathize with. But then the other thing is belonging. Belonging is a real strong emotion. Mm. If, if they feel they belong, you, it's, it's almost as if your live videos are almost like a counseling session that you're, you're, you're articulating how they feel inside and you're giving them hope. You're, you're making them feel that they're not alone. Would you say, have I got that about right? Yes. I mean, the, you know, what you'll find is people will watch movies that is an echo of their current or recent mental state. So that's why people would watch a, you know, forgive me, a sad movie to actually have a few tears. They watch a comedy, they'll watch you know, action movies and so on and so forth. But I think you're right. You know, I mean, I will repeat my sentence, you know, how are people I can relate to? coping with that sudden change in their in their world yeah. and and for me when, when i look at you know my work whether it's to help a business move forward with their brand positioning or if it's someone that's doing uh, video blogging and so on we still essentially ask ourselves the question you know what do we want the audience to feel then we'll work out what they're going to hear and see and and it's back to why i was so nervous about many years ago ian when i was thinking i'm going to have a meeting with uh, a managing director of this manufacturing company and we're going to discuss about how the audience is going to feel when we do this video to promote you know what it can do uh, as a business and, and and it's working you know people actually understand it and i think it's because also the streaming platform like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV and so on have allowed people to consume a lot more varied content, not just the blockbusters, 
And I think they've seen the uh, how emotionally charged those TV series that they're so fond of. Uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, that thing to me is probably where we need to look at for good examples. Um, I mean, recently, the um, you know the book series Alex Ryder had their own translation to a TV series on Amazon Prime, and I have to tell you, it was outstanding from a visual storytelling point of view. So, if any of our viewers and listeners want to even just study how it's done, you know, translating it from a list of scenes as bullet points and then storyboarding into a visual kind of moving image. I think the new TV series of Alex Ryder is a great almost form of homework. Look at that and pose every so often you'll see how it's been the composition, the choice of colors and so on and so forth. It's really quite uh, inspiring. Well, that's great. We've we've been given some homework. So that is what you need to do. (laughs) I'll be checking up on you next week or on Thursday, in fact. And it's very, very difficult homework watching Netflix. It's, you know, it's, we work, we work you hard on this show. I love, I love all of that, what you've said. And and I I think, I I don't think it needs to be overwhelming. I think once you, with with the storytelling thing, I think at first when, when when you said seven steps, People might be going, oh my goodness, there's a lot there. But I think you you explained it really well. It's, it feels doable. But when it comes to the world of live video, where, you know, there's so many distractions around, you know, we're we, keeping the attention of our viewers and even on podcasts and, and other forms of content, of, of formats, how do we tell the story? Or, how, you know, is there a hook that we can start our live shows with or a pre-recorded video, or a podcast that's going to help keep our listeners, our viewers, watching to the end. Is there like a mini story, or is there something that that we can learn from the world of film that can get people hooked right from the start? Yeah, you've got to use what we call the setup. Uh, I mean, we, as in, it's a term that is used either the setup or whatever. And the best way I can um, I can give you a reference point is you've got to go back and watch a pit of folk in Colombo. So what you have here is, and it's something that I think we can all look forward to, where you, as the independent live show producer, before the live show, have crafted a visual story that you play in advance before coming online. So the idea being that you you do you set up what you're going to be exploring uh, for your audience. You set up essentially the, the, the subject matter, the topic, the challenge, the problem, the solution that you want to go to by essentially sharing a mini story. So back to that, which is, you know, if people just watch that bit, they kind of get it. And then they're going to stay with you because they want to see what the resolution is uh, all the way because you've done a good setup. Yeah, all movies, you know, the first, sometimes it's actually blended, you may remember, Ian, with the opening credits. But if you watch the opening credits sequence, it's the setup. And if the setup doesn't work, then your audience will be less willing to stick around because in a way, they just not they don't feel as engaged. But also what the setup suggests to your audience is that you worked hard at this live session it's going to be really worth that while sticking around. There's a lot going on in the first 60, 90 seconds. And what is lovely is, back to your comment about uh, tech and gear, it's become so much easier now to craft this setup. You know, you can have a simple mobile phone app like Quick and, and the other clips and so on. You can find a plethora now of stock video footage on platforms like um, Pexels and many others. Or you can go out and film y- your own stuff. And you're going to take great pleasure. And I think that's also where you're going to find your imagination is going to be uh, invited and expanded upon. Because ultimately, you're right, the live or the story 
is for the audience, but nothing stopping you from doing things just for you. And by creating maybe uh, an opening sequence and indeed a closing sequence, almost to kind of uh, uh, do that for you. Uh, and you'll find that you'll, be, you'll feel so energized for that live session that they'll stick around. And then make sure that when you deliver the story, have clear segments uh, and use the, the seven story. You know, so first, tell me about the stranger. Then tell me about how they've coped and tell me about why it was so difficult. But what you can do, because you're in the live environment, it's not pre-recorded footage, then I would say open and close each segment with questions. I mean, literally almost kind of tell, ask questions of the audience, but of course you answer them uh, as uh, you find lecturers would do in university, as well as, you know, good interviewers and documentaries and so on. That's great. Well, we're, we're almost out of time. I just wanted to ask you. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I know. It's, 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 well, we're going to have to get you back on and hopefully with, uh, before the next 12 months. <laughs> that would be, that would be good. Uh, is there any, are there any other techniques or considerations that we can learn from the well, I, I made world? So, I made some notes, so I hope you don't mind. I'm going to look at them. So, yes, yeah. I mean, one thing that we do, so we're always looking for, to be ready for the next project. So what we don't like is to be caught short of ideas or whatever. So one thing that we do is um, we do what we call a locations list. So you should have at your fingertips available to you three types of location, which I know at the moment is tricky. But I'm wondering, Ian, whether the future of live is also to be in different locations. I, I, I wait to hear your reaction to that. But we tend to have, we, we're ready with essentially what we call natural locations. So in my case, I pretty much have some of the best you know, looking natural locations in the whole of the northeast of England listed. And I know where they are if I want to truly surprise people, and no matter the work I'm doing. Then we have what we called a man-made historical locations. And then we have man-made current contemporary locations. You have almost three lists. And you can have fun. You can use, you can use Google Maps you know, to kind of pin them down, whatever. But as an independent producer, you should never be caught short of, of ideas and suggestions for, for the next project. And I, and I wonder whether it's going to be part of how you're going to keep the audience engaged, which is you make the location, which is actually the, the, the truth, a, a character in, in, in your storytelling. So I think that that's kind of what I would do. The other thing that I would look at is also using the technique of flashbacks. So what I mean by that is if you are looking to explore a, a challenge, a topic, and so on. One thing that works superbly well in storytelling is tapping into nostalgia. So we're in luck because with the likes of YouTube and many other platforms, there is now so much content out there that looks back in history. Some of it is public domain, so you could be looking back at you know when we first went onto the moon or the first you know attempts to go into you know the tomb in Egypt and whatever. But bring some of the history and where we've come from. So you were talking about earlier, uh, Ian a sense of belonging uh, and the sense of story people like uh, also a sense of direction so where we come from where we're we now and where is this going so you'd be able to use flashbacks i think uh, as, as a good technique for for you and i think for me the, the the next thing that i would always do as part of the 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 future is this idea of becoming part of a collective and working with others and supporting each other in your effort as a visual storyteller. Because I think really the one difference I see at the moment when it comes to online compared to offline is that offline we work as part of a team. I mean, most of my projects uh, were done with others. 
sometimes it was a very small team again, and there was just two or three, but at least it was two or three. I think with regard to live, I would like to suggest to you and to many others that the solo kind of endeavors have been part of your formative years, but where you're going to completely kind of go to the next level of uh, of experience for yourself and for your audience is when you're part of a collective. And if you think about filmmakers, indie filmmakers, whether they are in the UK, in America, in Australia, whatever, very often there's there's a community, there's a hub. They know of each other. They they support each other. They work with each other. They have um, you know kind of get together. We're on the pizza and and, and a beer with each other. And they share and they care for each other. And I think that, I think uh, I could be wrong, but that's something we can all look forward to where the live streamers start to really be organized as a community. And literally, you may end up being the sound guy on someone else's stream, but then they support you by being the uh, kind of pre producer uh, girl or guy by helping you with locations. And, and I think it's going to be so magical. I totally agree with you. And I think if ever we need that collaboration and that community, within people within a particular niche is now more than ever. And I, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Wow. Well, there's so much, I, I mean, I, we, we could almost like start a whole new podcast episode now. And there's so much from what you just gave there, but we are out of time. And uh, it's always nice to, it's always good, I think, to, to leave people wanting more. Wouldn't you agree, Pascal? <laughs> That's true. So it could be a sequel. I'm there sure we go. Do. Yes. Yes. The Cover the Line Marketing <laughs> Show, Mark Two. Um, so how can people find out more about you to how they can stalk you in a nice way. I'm sure you're across all the socials and on you have a website and all that kind of stuff. How, how can people find out more about you and follow you? Yeah, so I'm very lucky that with a name like mine, I'm easily found <laughs> on the internet. So if you literally put Pascal Fintoni on Google, you'll find all, all the different platforms. And and yes, get in touch. I mean, obviously, I'd love to get people's reaction and views on what you and I discussed today. I'm always on the lookout for guests for my own kind of video podcasting. So again, if you have an interesting uh, approach and mindset to the world of content creation, it'd be lovely to hear from you, whether you are a, a newbie or the way to obviously uh, an expert, because I think we can all learn from each other, no matter where we are in our journey as a visual storyteller. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, th and I can't wait for this uh, to be turned into uh, the, the blog. So all the show notes for this will be at iag.me forward slash 82. And just to let you know, uh, thank you so much for, for watching or for listening to the podcast. We're live every Tuesday and Thursday on Facebook, YouTube, and, and the rest of them. You can get notified at confident.live forward slash subscribe. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. I don't always ask for this. I need to do this more often, but uh, I would love it if you do listen to the podcast, leave a review or just reach out to me and let me know because sometimes podcasting can be a bit of a lonely business. Wouldn't you agree, Pascal? It can be a bit of a lonely business, oh. this world that we live in. <laughs> Fabulous. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pascal. It's been great to have you on the show. But until next time, I encourage you to level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of Confident Live Video. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray. Be sure to join the community at iag.me, where you can continue to level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of live video. And until next time, toodaloo. Pascal Ventoni, Pascal Ventoni.
Calvin Cody. Ach, Calvin Cody. How to use filmmaker storytelling techniques to captivate the audience. How to use filmmaker storytelling techniques.